Amen. Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. We're certainly thankful for another opportunity and privilege to be here with you at, uh, at Bradley's Pleasure. Uh, y'all are some of our f- most favorite people. I want you to know that. I'm not just saying that because I'm here today. You could ask me. Uh, anybody could ask me, and I'd say, well, I enjoy going to Bradley's Pleasure about as well as I, uh, anywhere I've ever been. There's a good spirit here. There's good people here, and it means a lot to me. As Brother Ricky was talking, most of you know me. I think about everybody knows me, and you know what I went through with having to have a liver transplant. And we thought we wasn't going to live through it. We didn't think we was going to make it to it. Uh, and uh, the Lord, of course, showed up, and, and like he does, uh, just right on time, uh, everything worked out. But we thought we wasn't going to make it. And uh, there was days there that I didn't think I'd live uh, before the transplant, and there was days after the transplant I didn't think I'd live. Uh, it was the hardest thing I've ever went through, and according to the doctor, it was the hardest surgery the human body can withstand. And I'd say that's about the truth, because I know I've been there. Uh, and if it had been any worse, I couldn't have stood it. I'll just assure you that. Uh, and there was days that I just didn't think I'd ever pull out of it, but uh, the, Lord, uh, the Lord brought us through it. But anyway, uh, I wanted to share with you today. Y'all were good to me. I knew you were praying for me. And that's the best thing we can do for somebody that's in need is to pray for them. It doesn't matter what kind of physical needs you have. It doesn't matter what kind of financial needs you have. It doesn't matter what kind of uh, spiritual needs you have. Uh, Prayer outdoes everything. Uh, Prayer has a way of changing things. And I know that the Lord showed up because people like you all were praying for me. And that meant a great deal to me, and I wanted to share that with you. And that's why I got got in contact with Brother Ricky and and told him, I said, well, I'm back to preaching now. I'd love to come and share with the church my testimony because you all, I know you were praying for me. And I know that you were following on Facebook, and I knew that people were talking and and sharing with uh, everybody what was going on. Uh, but I felt like it was my responsibility to come to you and say, uh, you know, that I just appreciate everything that was said and everything that was done, and I appreciate the financial uh, support you all sent to us. It meant such a great deal to us. Uh, and, uh, you know, there was a lot of days, especially leading up before we got bad, that we that was one of our biggest concerns was how are we financially going to live? How are we going to make it through that time whenever we just purchased a house and we moved to town and, we knew that our health was getting worse, and we felt like that it would be a smart decision to move to town a little closer to help. Uh, we were about 10 miles out of town, and, and uh, so we decided we were going to come into town, and we did, and the Lord showed up in a mighty way and, and, and got that taken care of, and we sold our house uh, even before we were ready to move out of it. And so we knew the Lord was working, but at any rate, we had a new house and, and uh, a much much bigger payment than we had before and uh, of course then we found out we were going to have to have this transplant right away and we didn't understand that at the time we didn't understand that all this stuff was going to happen and it happened really quickly and uh, and so you know I, I didn't have any ideal I was at work one day and I was sitting at a table we were having a maybe a uh, I, I don't know for sure if it was a uh, opening service at the school or what it was but anyway man Brother Johnny Young, the one that would later be told he'd have to have a liver transplant as well, was sitting side by side at a table, and we were uh, meeting the kids and greeting the kids and telling them about their transportation and how we was going to get them back and forth to school and what bus they'd be on and all that. 
telephone rung out of the blue, and, the, and I picked it up and said, hello, I saw it was a Bowling Green number, and the nurse told me on the phone, said, Dr. Tawari wants me to, wanted me to call you and ask you where you, you wanted to go to, for your transplant, whether you wanted to go to Lexington or whether you wanted to go to Vanderbilt. And I said, transplant? And she said, yeah, he, he says it's time to get you transplanted, get you on the transplant list. And I said, well... He had told me just a few weeks before, a couple weeks before, that that would be the last resort. We wasn't going to do that till the very end because it takes a whole village to make a transplant work. And uh, at any rate, we went. Uh, I told her, I said, well, I'm going to go to Lexington. I don't like going to Vanderbilt. It's not the hospital. It's just the traffic. I don't like that traffic down there. So I said, we'll go to Lexington. So anyway, we got set up and we got everything going and things were kind of pretty stable for a while. And then all of a sudden, the numbers start going up. And you have what you call a male score, and that male score means, really in essence what it means is it's the end of life score. In other words, once you reach 40, that means you're as far as you can go. At 40, you either get transplanted before 40 or you die at 40. So we started out, you know, kind of low, about 17 when we first started going to Bowling Green, but pretty quickly we went up into the 20s. And then we kind of leveled off in the 20s, and then all of a sudden I got... Uh, up to 25, and then I got put on the transplant list. 24 is the magic number. If you reach 24, you get put on the transplant list. So anyway, I made the transplant list, and it went on for a, while, a long time, and then, and then we got uh, to uh, 27, and then we got to 28 or 29, and then we went to 30 and, and all of this. But anyway, one day, one day at work, I told the fellows there at work that I worked with, those four, four teachers in the class, and, and, and I told them, I said, me and three others, and I told them, I said, we're going to have to, we're either, I said, listen, I, I, I'm sick, I'm really bad sick, and I said, we're going to have to get serious about this prayer. We're going to have to pray about this transplant. If I'm going to get a transplant, we're going to have to get serious about it. And I made it till noon that day or till lunch, and I told Miss Debbie, I went to the office and told her, I said, you're going to have to take me home, Deb. I can't make it the rest of the day. And so she took me home, and I went straight to bed. And I slept until she got home, and then I got up and went to the recliner. Well, Miss Brittany, our daughter, lives next door to us, just here to the car out there, first car in the parking lot. And uh, Miss Debbie decided she was going to go over and see the grandbaby. You know, Granny and Grandpa's got to see the baby every day. You know, you got to. So anyway, she went next door, and she called me, and she said, Don, uh, FaceTime me. She wanted me to see the baby. And I didn't feel like going over there. But she FaceTimed me and she said, Don, what's that running out of your mouth? I said, what are you talking about? I couldn't see anything. The lights were off. It's kind of dark, dusky dark in the, in the living room. And uh, she said, there's something running down your face. And I said, I don't, I don't know. So anyway, she come home, immediately walked over to the house. And she come in there and she said, Don, there's blood running out of your mouth. And uh, of course, we've been hearing about all these things that, that showed that you was uh, really, really ill. And, and you've got blood vessels in your in your throat and when those rupture you can either you either have to have them banded really quick and stop the blood or you will bleed to death so we automatically assumed that's what it was when it ruptured so she took me to Lexington that night and uh, when we got to Lexington they was ready for us because we called the transplant team and told them that we were on our way and they took us into the emergency room and we stayed in the emergency room there for a day or two before they ever got us a room it seemed like 14 days but it wasn't it was a couple days maybe a day or whatever 
Anyway, they moved us to a room, and, uh, and, and then on Wednesday morning, I received a call. And I'd been waiting on this call because I knew the doctor had told me the last time I went to see the doctor, he said, we're going to have to get you transplanted really, really quick. Uh, on a Thursday morning, yeah, that's when she called. And uh, Miss Debbie will always correct me if I'm wrong, okay? She's good at that, and I appreciate her for it. But anyway, on Thursday morning, I received a call, and I was sitting in the doctor's office, and I picked up the phone. Where was I at then? I was in the hospital. That's where I was at. It wasn't in the doctor's office. I was in the hospital. But anyway, uh, the phone rung, and she said, Don, we've got you a liver. Perfect match. She said, how long will it be before you get here? And I said, I'm already here. She said, huh? And I said, yeah, I'm in the hospital right now. She said, well, great. So anyway, I got transplanted on Thursday night. Well, Friday night. I'm going to quit looking at you. <laughs> on Friday night, we got transplanted, Okay. Now, I want you to know something. For two years, for two solid years, I'm going to preach in a minute, brother. Is that all right? But for two solid years, I had built myself up for this transplant. I just had to get to this transplant. Because I just thought that it was going to be a miracle right away, and I was just going to come out of the hospital the next day feeling great. Okay, well, that wasn't the case, okay? When I woke up, I felt like a, a dead man that had been really mistreated. And uh, it went for a long, long time. Brother Ricky come up and, 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 and Sister Jenny come up and they saw us and, and they tried to encourage us and I didn't want to be encouraged. I didn't feel like being encouraged. I didn't feel like living. I wanted to be left alone and just, just let me die. Matter of fact, I told Debbie, I said, I'll never live through this. This is going to kill me. This is the worst thing I've ever went through in my life. I, there ain't no way that's, that I can do this. She kept assuring me, and Brother Ricky kept assuring me, and Sister Jeannie kept assuring me that it, God was going to show up. Okay, well, I'm laying in this hospital bed, and, and you know as good as I do. Well, listen, folks, if your faith is ever put to the test, if it's ever put to the test, it'll make you or break you. And real, real quick, it doesn't take very long for us to realize that, hey, we're not as strong as we think we are. When everything's going good, it's easy to feel like you're 10 foot tall and bulletproof. But when you're laying flat on your back and they've been cutting on you and they've took a part of your body out and they put another part of somebody else's body in you uh, and you find yourself, you're, you're so swelled and you're so sore and you're so aching that your legs feel like they weigh 2,000 pounds apiece, you can't even pick them up off the bed. It doesn't take very long when they come in to roll you over and it feels like that they're absolutely going to kill you. It doesn't take very long for your faith to be put to the test. Mine was put to the test. and I, Brother Ricky would assure me that everything was going to be all right, but I didn't believe Brother Ricky. I love Brother Ricky, but I didn't believe him. And I love Sister Jenny, but I thought she was a liar. She'd tell me it's going to be all right. Well, I feel like she's lying to me. Miss Debbie, she'd tell me it's going to be all right. I felt like I had the lionest wife ever lived. Me and Miss Debbie, we fussed all the time. I tell you the truth, I wouldn't have put up with me for five minutes while I was in the hospital. I was the hapless man that ever lived. I tried to run her off several different times. I wasn't well enough to run her off. I threatened to have the security to come in and remove her from the hospital because she'd tell me I needed to do this or I needed to do that, and I didn't want to do anything. Lay there and die. That's what I wanted to do. But anyway, one day I felt a little better, and I thought, well, maybe I'll pull out of this thing. And then, to make a long story short, the Lord met me one day in the hall. I was walking down the hall. The people would come in and said, you're going to have to walk. In other words, you end up getting out of the hospital until you walk. I didn't want to walk. 
But the Lord met me in the hallway that day as I was walking. And I was trying to convince myself to keep walking. And I was trying to convince myself to remember to breathe in and out. I was having to talk myself through all this. Plus, I was having to remember which direction I was going. And I had a lot going on in my mind. I had a lot of drugs in my body, okay? I had to tell myself how to do these things. But the Lord met me that day in the hallway, and I felt a divine intervention. And I don't know if you've ever felt a real divine intervention or not. But let me tell you something. If you're right with God, and you ask God, and other people are asking God for you, then God's going to show up. And you may not know when He's going to show up. And you may not realize uh, at that particular time that He's going to show up. But all of a sudden, He shows up. Well, that's what happened in that hallway that day. I was telling myself to keep walking and keep breathing. Couldn't let my oxygen drop. They put me right back in the room my oxygen dropped. So I was walking along, looking down at my feet, and I was telling them how to walk. And all of a sudden, my feet took off walking. And I felt something move over me. And I walked down that hall and I walked all the way around that hall and I made the complete circle around that hall. And when I got back to my room, I kept walking. And I passed that room up and I kept going and I walked around again and I come back in to the room, sat back down in the chair. And those two people that was walking with me and Miss Debbie, those two respiratory therapist they said you don't physical therapist sorry <laughs> physical therapist thank you miss debbie uh told me he said you don't need to go back to cardinal hill you need to go home i said well yes i do tell the doctor so the next day we got to go home so i'm going to tell you something when god shows up he shows up and that's just exactly what happened for me he showed up and i went home and i felt better every single day since and i feel better every day now Every day since, I have felt better and better and better and better. I feel 20 years younger now than I did when I went. Than I can even remember before I started feeling bad. Let me tell you something, folks. When God shows up, He works a miracle. So don't ever lose your faith. Don't ever get to the point. Listen, I don't know what you'll face in this lifetime. I don't know what I'll face in this lifetime. But never, ever, ever think that God won't show up if you ask Him to show up. Because that's exactly what he'll do. And he showed up for me and it was because I love him. And he loves me. And because of people like you that prayed for me. And I appreciate you and I want you to know that. I want to say God bless you and thank you so very much for the opportunity to be able to stand before you. Take your Bible if you would. Let's go over to the book of Matthew chapter number 5 for just a few moments. I'm not going to hold you a long, long time today. But I've got some things I want to share with you today. And I've told you all about God and how wonderful He is. And we all know that heaven's going to be a wonderful place to be. And we're excited about it and it's going to be wonderful. But listen, I'm not going to spend the last few years of my life, no matter how long I have left, I'm not going to try to convince people how wonderful heaven is. I'm going to try my best to tell people how real hell is. And because, see, we never know. We take for granted that everybody's saved and everybody's on their way to heaven and everybody's going to be all right. But that's just not the way it is, okay? There's people that are going to die lost and go to a place called hell. And so it's, I believe it's, uh, sometimes it's a responsibility uh, of, uh, of an evangelist or a pastor or a preacher to just forget about all the good stuff and talk just a little bit about some bad stuff so that people will realize, listen, uh, there is a hell to shun. 
There, it, it's a real place. It's a literal place. It's a physical place. And we understand that because the Bible tells us about it. But sometimes people just kind of sit in the church house and they sit there and they listen, but they never really hear. They never really think. It never really enters into their heart and their soul just how real hell is. And listen, I'm going to tell you something today. Hell is real. And so I'm going to preach today to somebody that might just need to be awakened, awakened and so they might realize, and listen, for the rest of you that are saved, I want to say you've made the best decision you've ever made. And I don't want you to know that you already know that. But there's some people that are just kind of in between. They don't really know whether they're saved or not. And I believe that's the saddest state a human being can ever be in. I talked to people before that says, I think I'm saved. I hope I am. I don't really know for sure, but I, I, asked, I asked Jesus once. But I don't really feel it. I don't really feel like there's a change. Because I want you to know something. Every day of your life, you ought to know that you know that you know you're ready to meet Jesus. But there's some people today sitting in our churches across America that don't know that. And so that's... It's our responsibility today to share with you what the Bible says. I want you to think about what the book of Matthew, chapter number 5. I want to look at one verse. If you would, please stand to your feet. Verse number 29. As we share with you what the Lord's given us to share with you today, I want you to think about hell. I want you to think about what it is. I want you to consider what hell really is today. But this is what the Bible says in Matthew, chapter number 5, verse number 29. Read with us if you would. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for, uh, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish. And not that the whole body should be cast into hell. So let's pray. Father God, as we come before you, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for all that you do. We just ask you to go and be with us today. Help us to make this message real to your people today. Help the ones, Lord, that are lost today, Lord, that might be looking upon us or they might be watching us on Facebook. Father, we pray today, Father, Lord, that you'll just speak to them. Maybe those members here in the church, Lord, that just need to be encouraged so that they can take the message and use it to help someone that's lost. Maybe there's one that's backslidden today, Lord, and they need to come home. Maybe there's one here today that's never really accepted Christ. They thought they did, but they never really did. I pray that you'll prick their heart today, Lord. I pray that you'll help them realize, Lord, what that one member is in their body that they ought to be casting from them so that the whole body won't be cast into hell. Father, Lord, I pray today, Lord, that we'll search ourselves and that we'll, through your... Holy Spirit, Lord, that we'll understand and we'll have an unction, Lord, of what we need to do to move forward for you. I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for this privilege, Lord. I thank you for this church, for a pastor. Father, Lord, I thank you for each and every member today, Lord, that makes up this church. I pray, Lord, that you'll bless them in a mighty special way. For they sure have blessed me. Father God, I pray that you'll bless them just as, just as well. I pray that you'll go and be with us now. Help us, Lord, as we try to deliver the message that you've given to us. Help us to realize, Lord, what hell is. 
Help us to realize today, Lord, that there's people that's dying lost each and every day and going to that awful place. Lord, we know heaven's great and grand. Lord, we've read the scripture. We know what it says about heaven. Lord, we can't even begin to imagine what heaven's going to be like, and we thank you for that, Lord. It's going to be so beautiful and so wonderful. But, Lord, I, I, I just look forward to seeing our Savior. I, I look forward to seeing Christ and being able to bow before Him. Father, Lord, there's some that's going to be, Father, Lord, cast away from Him, and they're going to be in, in a place of torment and misery throughout eternity. Lord, I pray that You'll speak, Lord, to, to those that hear this message today, Father, Lord, that they won't be one of those. Lord, I just pray that You'll help us today, Lord, to just yield to You. I thank You for what You do and for what You're going to do. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to think about something. I want you to ask yourself a question this morning. Do you really believe in hell? Do you really believe in hell this morning? I believe if a lot of people would ask themselves that, I believe they'd have to say, no, not really, because if they did, they'd have to live their life a different sort of way. They'd have to start doing some things different. See, it's real easy to convince ourselves that we're ready to meet Jesus and that we're going to go to heaven and everything's going to be good and everything's going to be great when this life is over because everybody wants to believe in heaven. Everybody wants to believe that they're going to heaven. But the sad fact and reality is that a lot of people are going to wind up in a place called hell. And I think sometimes we have to be shaken. We have to be awakened to the thought that, listen, just because we say we're something doesn't mean we're actually that thing at all. Just because we confess that we are and we have been changed doesn't mean that we are or we have been. You see, I want you to know something. When change comes through the Holy Spirit to us, it changes us so profusely and so profoundly that everybody around us knows that. Everybody around us can feel that. I believe you, you ought to live the kind of life that when somebody comes up to you and walks up to you and begins to talk to you, in no, no more than five minutes they ought to know there's something different about you. I believe the Holy Spirit ought to be working in you so profusely and so profoundly that people can see something different in you even though you're not discussing anything spiritual. You don't have to tell somebody you're a Christian. What you have to do is show them that you are a Christian. You see, I went to the parts house last night and it took me about two seconds to figure out that the person standing behind the counter that was checking me out was not saved. He didn't have to tell me that he wasn't saved. He didn't have to tell me that he didn't know who Jesus Christ was. I could tell simply by the words that was coming out of his mouth that he wasn't a saved individual. It didn't take anything uh, spiritual about it to figure it out. I just knew that if he'd been saved, those words wouldn't have been coming out of his mouth. You see, I want you to know something. If you start living like you're saved and you start acting like you're saved, then people will look at you and they will know that you're saved. You can try to convince somebody that you know Jesus, but if your mouth is saying something different, listen, it doesn't matter how much you try to convince them, they'll know something different about you. We're not fooling God after all, and He's the one that matters. You see, I want you to begin to think about this. If you really believe in hell this morning, you'll start living like you believe in hell this morning. And I believe this message ought to go out to each and every person in the United States and across God's green earth so that they might understand and they might realize that there is a heaven again and a hell to shun. You see, it's real. 
It's not a figment of someone's imagination. We take the Bible, it doesn't take five minutes to read the Bible to figure out that the Bible that was written all those years ago are in tune and in touch with what reality is today. We can see it in the Scripture, we can read it in the Word, and we can turn on the television, and the television will back up exactly what the Bible says. People are living a lifestyle today the same as they was before the flood. And listen, I want you to know something. God's not pleased with it. We understand that today. We perceive that. But I want you to think about hell this morning. I want you to think about a place that's true, a literal place of eternal separation from Almighty God. And then I want you to think about what it is. See, first off, I believe the certainty of hell. I believe there's a certainty in hell. You see, I believe that hell is certain because God's Word declares it. You see, Matthew 25, 41 says, Then shall He say unto them on the left hand, Depart from Me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So the Word declares it. In other words, the Word says it's a literal place. It's a real place. It's a place where people are eternally going to be separated from God. They're going to be separated from everything good, everything just, everything righteous, and they're going to be in a place of eternal separation, and it's going to be a place of darkness and physical pain, and I want you to know it's going to be a place of spiritual death. It's going to be a place where God is not. Where everything good is not there, but everything that's bad is there. You see, there's a certainty in that. There's a certainty in knowing, listen, that the Bible declares that there is a place called hell. He says, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire. Now think about that just for a moment. Everlasting fire. That doesn't sound anything like anything I'd want to be a part of. It doesn't sound like something that I'd want you to be a part of. I know deep down inside that nobody would want to experience a place of eternal fire. They'd have to be in that awful place. You see, the Bible's very clear on hell and the contents of hell. There's nothing I find that's in the contents of hell, uh, Brother Bill, that I'd even want to uh, think about. It's a place of eternal separation. It's a place of pain and agony. It's a place where the worm dieth not. It's a place of thirst. It's a place... Of, of a hatred. It's a place of evil. It's a place of darkness. It's a place, listen, where you can't find anything good. And if that isn't enough, it's a place where people comes up to you and bites your flesh. See, there's a certainty in a place called hell. The Bible proclaims it. He tells about it. He tells us, listen, that if there's a place where, listen, it's created, for, or prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, really, honestly, that's the only people that should have ever been there. That's the, only, that's the only beings that should have ever been there is the devil and his angels. It wasn't created for you. It wasn't created for me. He was created for the devil and his angels. And yet people deny the very existence of Almighty Jesus and how wonderful He is and how God has made a way for us uh, via the cross and made, via uh, Jesus Christ, His only beloved Son, His begotten Son, the very Son of God, come and gave His life on that awful cross so that we would never experience a place called hell. But there's a certainty in that. See, everything good will be in heaven, but everything bad will be in a place called hell. 
kind of a scary thought, isn't it? See, Jesus spoke Himself after He had gone down into the grave and risen again and ascended to the right hand of God. He certainly knew what He was talking about when He spoke of the future revelation or future life and uh, Revelation chapter number 21 verse 8 he said but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and sorcerers and adulterers and the liars shall have their part in the lake of which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death so we know there's a certainty in a place called hell we know that he tells us who's going to go there he tells us that all those that are fearful and unbelieving you see fear drives you away from God because you can't believe in God you uh, listen. You won't understand what it means to not have the fear. I had a fear when I was lost and undone. I had a fear that I'd lay down one night and go to sleep and never wake up. I was afraid of that. So that means I was unfearful. You see, I want you to think about that. fearful. And see, then he says the unbelieving. Well, certainly you can't believe in God really, honestly, truly. You can't believe in the Son of God until you know who the Son of God is. You see, I want you to know something. You may have a revelation. The Holy Spirit may come to you and speak to you and tell you to come to the saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. But if you stop halfway down the aisle, or aisle you'll never know who Jesus is. If you stop before you ask Him to come in and be Lord of your life, you'll never know who He is. If you don't believe He can save your wicked soul and save you from a place called hell, you'll never know who Jesus is. You see, you'll always be that unbelieving soul unless you believe first in Him. You can't know Him until you believe in Him. You can't really know Him until you first experience Him. You'll never experience Him until you believe in Him and come to Him. You see, a lot of people today say they're saved, but they're not. A lot of people want to convince others that they're saved, but they're not. See, a lot of people wants to uh, fool the preacher into thinking they're saved so he'll leave them alone. He won't bother them. He won't come and ask them about salvation. He won't come to them and say, listen, you need to be saved today. So they play the part. A lot of people go to church just simply to play the part. You see, we can play the part all of our life and still wind up in a place called hell. Without the saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, listen, we're unbelieving. We're abominable. We're doing things. We're, we're working acts that are abominable before God. Listen, He don't want us acting like we're saved. He wants us saved. He doesn't want us to act like we're a good Sunday school uh, uh, superintendent or a good Sunday school teacher. He doesn't want. He doesn't care whether or not we sing or whether or not we play the piano. He doesn't care whether or not we get up and, and read the Scripture and pretend to preach. He doesn't care about all that. If we're not saved, that's what He cares about. You see, we're unbelieving. We're abominable. He says the murderers. Well, who's a murderer? Is it somebody that actually takes a life or is it somebody that denies and and takes away from the existence of others. See, I want you to know something. If you're supposed to be saved and you're not saved, you're, you're taking a chance on somebody else going to hell because you're not where you're supposed to be. You're murdering their soul. Do you ever think about that? Listen, if Brother Ricky wasn't saved, I want you to think about the people that's come to the saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is because of the message that he's preached since he's been here and been your pastor. If he'd never been saved and he hadn't come to this church, who would have said that message? Would it have been another, or would that message never have reached that one? I don't 
like that was mine. But at any rate, would that make him a murderer? If he hadn't done what he was supposed to do, if he denied the call, if he'd never come to salvation, if he'd never took this church as his pastor, if he'd never loved you enough to be your pastor, and people would have died lost because he didn't preach the message that he needed to preach that particular Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night. He didn't do what he was supposed to do, so therefore they, they died lost. Would he not be a murderer? Yes, he'd be a murderer. He murdered their soul because he didn't do his job. And everybody that's supposed to be saved that are not saved, everybody that's been called to repentance and they didn't come and the people that should have been talked to by them, listen, if they die lost and they're murdered their soul. It's not somebody that just takes a physical life. It's not somebody that walks up and does something evil to somebody and takes their life. Their breath stops uh, coming in and out of their lungs uh, simply because of an act that somebody made. That doesn't make somebody a murderer. That's not the only way you murder somebody. You murder their soul. You take from them the very thing that they're supposed to give to them. And it costs them their life. You see, you think about that. What about the, mur- what about the whoremongers and the sorcerers and the adulterers? Man, how many people do we know that fits in those categories? How many people do we know, listen, that's out doing all sorts of evil? They're out with a different woman or a different man every night and they're out doing all these things. They're not taking time to think about Jesus Christ. They're not think, t- taking time to think about heaven or hell. They're out just living their own little wicked way. They're doing the things they want to do. Listen, the sorcerers, people that are lying to people. Man, there's a lot of sorcerers. A lot of sorcerers in the land today. Turn on television. Watch some of them TV evangelists and find out they ain't some sorcerers. I want you to think about that. About liars. How many times you lied in your life? How many times you lied since you've been saved? How many times you lied this past week? How many times have the lost lied this week? I want you to think about that. How many times have they lied during the day? They don't care. They don't ever think about it because they're lost. It doesn't matter to them whether they lie or not. Holy Spirit convicts us lying and we say, well, I lied because of this. I didn't tell the full truth because of that. I didn't want to hurt their feelings, so I told them a little, a little fib. You know what happens when you do that? The very God of heaven goes. Because he doesn't want you lying. He doesn't want you living like the world. He doesn't want you doing the things that they do. But he says that they'll have their place in the lake of fire. In brimstone, which is the second death, you see experience and observation and common sense also points to the existence of hell. We look around today and we have to understand that there's certainly got to be a punishment for all the way that people are living. We've got to understand that. We've got to perceive that. We've got to know, listen, God's not pleased with all of this and all of that that's going on in our land today. What about secondly, what about the character of hell? Have you ever thought about the character of hell? Listen, hell's a place of physical anguish. This is a plain in the Bible description of the future destiny of the lost. Death and destruction are the terms most frequently used in the Scripture to describe a place called hell. 
You see, Revelation 20 and 10 says, And the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beasts and false prophets are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. You see, we understand that there's a character of hell. Listen, we find out who's supposed to be there. It's not us. It was never meant to be us. It's a place where the devil was supposed to be. Because he rose up and declared himself he wanted to be God. A created being created by the hand of Almighty God And he rose up and said that he wanted to be God. And God said, Lucifer, I cast you out. I cast you out. You don't belong here. You can't be here. But I've made a place for you. And he kicked him out of heaven. And where did he wind up? He wound up on earth to deceive the multitudes and to tell the multitudes that they just could do their own thing. They could go ahead and eat. It wouldn't matter. Go ahead and do what you want to do. It won't matter. Everybody else does it. You can do it. Everybody else acts that way. You can get by with it. Just go ahead and lay out of church. Go ahead and just stay at home. Go ahead and sit back. Even though the Bible says... uh, not forsake the assembly of thyself. The devil says, well, it's all right if you do. The devil says, it's all right if you go ahead and stay home. The devil says, it's all right. God ain't going to care. He loves you too much. He ain't going to care whether you do that or not. He doesn't care whether or not you do the things you're supposed to be. My goodness, it's 12 o'clock already, and I've just got to the second point. Now, how did we happen to do all that? But I want, you, I want you to think that. I want you to realize, listen, in the next world, we are not disembodied spirits. See, the Bible tells us we'll have a new body. We're just not going to be a bunch of spirits floating around here and there and just bumping into each other just like we're uh, strings on a kite. Our kite's on a string, I guess is the way I should have put that. You see, I want you to realize something. We're going to have bodies. You see, some of these bodies are going to be a place called hell. Some of these bodies are going to be a place called heaven. The Bible says so. So it has to be true. Because it is true. But I want you to think about that. There's going to be a lot of people that are cast into a place called hell, and they're going to have bodies too, but they're going to be bodies that are damned to a place called hell throughout all eternity. In other words, it's never going to get any better. It's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. And thirdly, I want you to think about the chaos of hell. I want you to think about what's going on there just in that awful place. You see, Luke uh, 16 and 9 uh, tells us exactly what's going to be like. Let me read that to you. 
16 and 9 says this. No, that's not it. 19, sorry. Verse number 19, I said 9. You see, it says, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed of the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs come and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and uh, was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. And seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. I want you to think about that just for a moment. You see, hell is a place of remorse and of conscience. It's a place where you think. It's a place where you can't help but forget. In other words, you can't forget enough. You can't help but remember, in other words exactly what the Bible says. And you're always conscious of that. And there's a chaos that comes into that. And you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you could have escaped that awful place whenever you was called to repentance. But you can't get out now. You see, there's a lot of people today that need to realize, listen, hell's a place of memory and remorse. Remorse without a moment's rest. It's endless remorse. In other words, it never gets better. You're sorry throughout eternity, but it doesn't do you any good to be sorrowful for what you did wrong, for not accepting Jesus Christ. You see, I believe that hell is a place of consuming uh, desire. In other words, you just want for some, you want to get out for a moment or you want a drop of water. Listen, you ain't going to get it. The rich man wanted a drop of water to cool his tongue and yet he never got it. He never came to him. I want you to realize hell's real today. It's real today, and we have to understand that, and we have to be able to get that in our mind and settle it in our hearts so that we can begin to live and we can come to Jesus Christ. It's a place of, of ever-increasing moral degradation. It's a bottomless pit. In other words, it gets worse and worse and worse. It's a place of shame. It's a vile place. It's a place of vile association. Revelation 21 and 8 says... But the fearful and the unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and adulterers and liars shall have their part which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Listen, you've got to be warned today. You've got to understand that. You've got to get that in your mind and get it settled in your heart so that you can be saved. You can't wait. You can't put it off. What happens if you wait too long? What happens if we'd waited a day or two longer before going to the election? i tell you what would have happened. We'd have died. I knew I was within a day or two of dying anyway. I knew I was that close. My body was shutting down. Miss Debbie took me to Lexington, and because of that, that decision, that night, all the things that we did while we were waiting for that liver, just a day or two later, we got those took care of. During that span, we would probably have been sitting at home doing nothing but dying. But we got that taken care of. And because of that, we made it till we got to the liver transplant. You see, you can't put it off because tomorrow may never come. Next week or next month may never come. Next year may never come. Your friend may never come that you want to come and follow to the altar. You've got to be saved while there's still time. 
you got to be saved now. Today is the day of righteousness. Or today is the day of repentance. You can't wait till tomorrow. What if tomorrow never happens? See, I believe all the bad things that the Bible says about hell, I believe that's what hell is. I don't believe you'll find one good thing there. Not one. Because there ain't no good thing there. Not one. Brother Rick.